Bridges, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. It's kind of a kind of a big week for us here in uh, in our school system. It We've, is. Uh, you know, it's called Wintersville. People don't know that um, who are who are listening, but uh, our biggest rival, crosstown rival, um, it's that week. So we've been dressing up all week, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know it's busy um, to talk to us. Uh, a little bit about um, teaching's profession. So you're the third and final interview on this topic. And we interviewed Dr. Green, who came on and, and talked about this from the, the, you know, the apex of administration of school system, the superintendent or assistant superintendent. And we talked to a couple weeks ago, Madison, you know, one of your uh, big success stories um, and see what that, what, how work by learning and teaching's profession work together for, um, for students getting the student perspective and so now you're you're the one who gets to bring it all together so no pressure um but uh to if you will tell us just a little bit about your background i kind of kind of floated the idea uh or teased the idea that you have a unique perspective because you're you're different than me in that you weren't you didn't come into career in tech ed at the beginning of your career so tell us just a little bit about you before we get started okay um i went i went to college to be an accountant and about a year before graduation, I decided I didn't want to do that. So I switched my major to secondary education English, ended up graduating in December, which is not the most ideal time to get a job. But I started working at our local technical college. So I, I started in technical education in the capacity as an English and psychology teacher. So initially, I spent three and a half years at at the time it was about Austin Technical College, now it's Wiregrass. Yeah, okay. And um, I stayed there, loved, that was a great experience, loved what I did, um, but an opportunity came available to teach um, just English with a, you know, 190 day contract. So I was like, sounds good to me. And um, I left Wiregrass and came to Lowndes High School in 1998 and taught freshmen for one year. And then I taught seniors, which was British lit for, I don't know, 21, 20, 20 years, 21 years, something like that. And um, then an opportunity came to where I could move out of English. And that was, some, that was a very comfortable spot for me. I had taught um, British literature from co-taught to honors, gifted, and AP um, lit for, you know, two decades really and I was department head but I wanted a change and so the opportunity came for me to leave um, that comfort zone and come to CTAE and work in work-based learning and the teaching as a profession pathway so I have loved every minute of it I've always loved my job I like being a teacher but seeing kids want to go into education makes my heart very happy um, and it's hard to get them because of Honestly, sometimes those of us in, in our own profession deter others from going into education. And I, you know, spend, you know, two face-to-face -face classes telling them it's the best career choice you will ever make. If you want a family, if you want to impact others, um, you want time to where you can get to know your colleagues and get to know students. And, you know, you have students who are now Jason's age 
that it's like oh my gosh like I remember when you were you know the 18 year old um not head and now you're the adult and you know you have kids of your own and like hmm but I mean it it comes full circle and it's the most rewarding career and the best career choice um I think anybody could make if you love kids so So speak speak quickly if you mentioned you hit on something that I, I mentioned with Dr. Green um teachers are often the worst recruiters to our field um, yes. Just speak to that just for just for a minute or two. Um, my students in my pathway tell me that Miss So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so told us you don't want to be a teacher. And I'm like, why? Um, and I said, you have to look at it from the perspective of most teachers in Georgia are on a 190 day contract. That's your teaching contract. And I said, and you think about what other people who are not teachers, they're working, I think it's 265 days a year. I said, so that's a good bit of time. I said, now teachers don't have June, July, and August off, like, you know, that little, you know, old adage that, you know, here we are and, you know, we're off um, all of that time. But we do have holidays where we can spend with our families, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and summers and spring break and whatnot. But teachers do, they tell Yes, you don't want to be a teacher. You don't want to be a teacher. And it just baffles me because I love what I do and I love kids. There's so many perks. So you can it's choose. Why, it's why you're good at doing the teaching and profession program. So let's talk a little bit. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about um, recruiting to your program. Um, and, you know, what kind of what kind of students are you looking for? You know, how do you recruit those students? Um, and and then we'll, we'll follow up with the question about workplace learning after that. Um, my pathway is an application pathway, and I will tell you that when I first started, um, I was probably a little bit more lenient than some predecessors about letting different kinds of students in. Uh, I don't think they all need to be the smartest and you know the top of your class to be a good teacher. I think I wasn't the top of my class, Andrea. <laughs> um, <laughs> you need. You need a good work ethic, you need to love kids, and you need to have a willingness to continuously learn and grow. And so if you can do those things, you can be a good teacher. Um, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to, you know, be able to, you know, do things that, you know, less than 1% of the population can do. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that student who has, you know, good attendance, good work ethic, willing to work, um, you know, work hard um, to grow. Like from day one, I put them in front of the class teaching something. So I'm getting them comfortable with, you know, the skills that they're going to have as um, they make their way into the field of education and hopefully hone those skills and, you know, foster some some growth in those areas. But um, I want them to be able to see their own growth and know that when I first came in here, I was scared to death. And then when I stood up in front of the class, I got red and blotchy and, you know, almost passed out. But now I can do this, you know, with everybody. So that's the kid I'm looking for. Um, discipline, obviously, is something that, you know, we look at. But kids are kids and they make mistakes. Adults make mistakes. And I'm not going to to kick a kid or not allow the opportunity for a kid to be in the program um, because they did something that, you know, got them in trouble uh, when they were, you know, in ninth grade or eighth grade or, you know, even last year, they change. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for students who are willing to learn like kids and, you know, are good role models and examples. All right. So now let's move into, um, 
your partnership with work based learning. Now you also, so you run your program and you help me run work based learning. So you, you have a foot in both of those worlds. Um, what does work-based learning the way, and then I'll let you actually go ahead and explain the model, explain how your program works, the classes, how it's sequenced with work-based learning, and then kind of, you know, I know a lot of people are, are wanting to know, they've asked me, they said, hey, how, how do you run your program? I said, I, I don't run the TAP program. I said, my, my good friend and partner, Andrea does. So they want to know how you run it, like how you set it up. So beyond the, the having them apply and accepting them, you know, what's it look like? What do your partnerships look like with local schools? Um, and then how has work-based learning kind of helped enhance that part, that, that last part of your class? Okay, so we have two face-to-face -face classes in the pathway. Um, those two classes obviously are just like a regular traditional class. Once they get through those two um, courses, uh, they are able to, I give them an opportunity to pick a school within our system. So we have eight elementary schools, three middle schools and high school. Um, we also have an alternative school. So there are places that students can go. Most of my students drive. I've had a few who do not have transportation of their own and we can make placements within our own school for those. Uh, but they get to choose, do they want elementary, do they want middle? Uh, we try to find one that's closest to their home. We are very fortunate that we have an elementary school um, probably less than two miles away. Yeah. Uh, they can go to, it's easy, you know, to get back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, so once they get through their two face-to-face -face classes, they are placed in a practicum situation with a mentor teacher. I feel like I have a very good relationship with all of the principals. Um, at those schools, uh, I have a lot of support from my school, from the county office. Uh, we are working, you know, constantly trying to, you know, give our students at Lance High School an opportunity to see what it's like at, you know, a middle school or an elementary school from a different perspective, because they may have been at that school as a student. And a lot of them do choose to go to the school that they attended. Um, some of them, you know, may not have attended one of those schools here, but, you know, they'll, they'll kind of figure it out. I let them, you know, if there's a teacher that they want to work with, if it, if it works, I can do that. Because some of them, you know, they had that favorite teacher that they recognized as being a good teacher and they want to go and learn from that person. And more often than not, those teachers welcome those, those students back and, you know, are excited for them to be there because yeah. truly it is a partnership and, our students coming out of the TAP pathway, they're going into another school to be another set of eyes and ears and to, to help teach, to do some small group, to do pullouts. And, you know, they, that's part yeah. of it, many student teaching. So and that's it, a good thing to, to, this is not a shadowing experience. I want people who, okay. who are watching this notice, they're, they are pre-service, pre-service teacher yeah. educators. Like they are teaching lesson planning, classroom management, like yeah. they're doing, they're they doing teaching it. Lessons. I'm going to see them teach lessons. If I can't be there, they're recording it. They're sending it, uploading it to me. Um, mm -hmm. They are, they're taking on the role of the teacher under the teacher's, you know, mentorship, obviously. They're not a glorified copy, um, you know, person. Oh, they're not grading, you know, ABCD tests. Um, they are, they are there. They are walking around the room. They know if I come and they're sitting, they need to be with a student and helping one-on-one -on -one or a small group yeah. that they're not just, you know, sitting yeah. idle that they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to teach, you know, initiative and let them see uh, what it's like to be, you know, in charge of a classroom and, you know, how do you manage 25 students? So. 
that is how that program is set up. So as far as work by surname, once they complete the pathway, um, the third class of the pathway is a practicum. So they go in and they have a mentor and they stay with that mentor for the duration of the semester. If I have students who start as 10th graders, they usually have finished their pathway their 11th grade year. So their 12th grade year gives them an opportunity to be a work-based learning YAP student and go back to that school, another school, another grade, which is very encouraging for, um, I think, the, the future of educators. Maybe they went to a kindergarten classroom the first time, and now they want to see, like, what's a fifth grade classroom like? And they- yeah, What's the difference? Completely yeah. different. Um, I had a student last year who was in kindergarten and the way her schedule worked out um, and the elementary school is so close, she was able to go during her third block. And it was only third block. Um, and we typically don't let them leave campus and then come back to campus. But she was going to the elementary school, you know, two miles away. She had the extra time for lunch. So she's doing that as her work-based learning class. And she was in a pre-K class. Day one, she comes back and tells me like, oh my gosh you weren't kidding. They're completely different. I said, see, so they have a perspective and they know like, I don't like the littles or I like the big elementaries or middle schools where I want to be. So I feel like it helps them maybe not get into a degree two, three years down the road that A, they may not enjoy, or they think they want to be middle grades until they get there. And then they realize they want to be high school or elementary. So yeah. it gives them opportunities to see a lot of yeah. things. So the more times they can be in a different classroom or a different setting, yeah. I think it benefits them. 100%, yeah. And, um, and on the rare occasion, you know, there's been times where we've had students who were taking their last class with you, their third class in the TAP program as a senior. And we just had them work that tap, that last one with an extra block. So they worked TAP uh, practicum and work by learning, um, you know, right yeah. back to back so they could stay for an extra hour or an extra yeah. hour and a half since we're on the yeah. block schedule. Um, so it's been a really good partnership for us because again, your students, you know, are, are kind of my bell cows in that youth apprenticeship category, which is one of the, one of my, my, my bigger goals. Um, it, it exposes your students, gets them more time in the classroom where they're doing it another semester. Heck, I think we've even had two, two or three students do it for multiple semesters. Um, and then tell them, tell them a little bit about our commercial partnership. So once the student, if they, you know, they, they go through your program, they, they want to teach, they want to be with, work with kids and love kids. We put them in the in the in the private sector, or excuse me, the public sector in the in the in the school systems. But talk a little bit about our private sector partnerships that we've got. We have a, a very good relationship with our local daycares, um, and these are daycares that are certified um, by the state, and you know, with with various certifications. But they're good places. They have curriculum, um, standardized curriculums. Uh, we have students who work after school. So when our school is released at three o'clock. Our daycares have after-school programs running. Our local YMCA has um, after-school programs. So I'm able to be kind of a pipeline for those businesses that need workers. And they'll call and like, hey, I need like eight kids. Do you have any? Um, we need, we have that many after-school um, students. Or, you know, especially in May, they start getting um, you know, antsy about like we have, you know, a lot of kids in the summer. I need like send me your best students. Like I need yeah. them to teach. Um, I need them to be able to do like know what curriculum looks like, know what lesson plans look like, know what teaching looks like, not just, you know, supervising playtime. So 
we are able to work with those businesses uh, and help get them students, and especially if they stay and go to college locally. Um, I have two students now who are both at VSU. Actually, I have four who, mm -hmm. sorry, have, um, let me count. There's five students at one of um, our daycares and one at another who are all VSU students, which is our local university. And they are still working in mm -hmm. that, um, you know, business yeah. after graduation. So, and they are some of their, their best workers. And they're like, I need you know, to Yeah, one of my passions, and, and I've said this whenever I'm traveling and presenting or consulting, and, and people will say, Jason, since you're in workforce development, which is what I do, workforce development at the high school level, the secondary talent level. Um, I said, what do, you, what do you think is the biggest need in our emerging workforce? And they're always usually pretty shocked when I say childcare. Childcare is the biggest and most imminent need for our workforce because it's so expensive. There are so few people who are wanting to go in and do it. And so what happens is you're forcing a lot of parents, whether it's the, the, the dad or the mom, to choose, do I go work to make X amount of dollars to spend most of that to pay for my child to go to daycare? Or do I stop working and stay home and save that money? And what you're really doing when that happens is you're pulling talented people out of the workforce um, because childcare is, is not readily available and it is absolutely not affordable. And so we are putting talent through your program into those. We're, we're, we're trying to saturate the market so that, that there are more workers in those areas. I, I think childcare is the most imminent need in 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 workforce moving forward I, th I don't know what else is going to rival that I think it's even bigger than talent availability because if you don't do it right it's actually taking talent out of the workforce um, and diluting that talent pool so um all right so talk a little bit about um first let me say this if there's any questions for Andrea in the chat I'm monitoring the chat too you can either put those in the chat um yeah, just put those in the chat for me and I'll see if, if any come through. Uh, we can ask her. The last part of our interview will be that. Um, so we talked about the partnership. We talked about work-based learning. We talked about what do you teach? So so talk a little bit about once you do you, your great partnerships, private and public, how you recruit them, what your program looks like, but what are you covering with them? Like that's when I sat in your class a few times, I'm always have to fight to to be a student and participate in the conversation because it's always good. But you're taught you're you're really developing. Um, you're not showing them how to, you know, to draw coloring books or build coloring books. You're not showing them, you know, you're showing them like how to actually be pedagogy and content experts. Um, so walk through a little bit about, you know, some of the lessons that you teach them that people would be surprised about um, and, and, and how prepared these students are when they emerge from your program to actually go into uh, a classroom and, and, and be a good practitioner. Um. Well, the, the two classes, the face-to-face -face classes, um, examining the teaching profession and contemporary issues in education. And when you think about contemporary issues in education and COVID, I mean, contemporary issues pre-COVID versus post-COVID, completely different. Um, you know, how do we how do we look at, you know, what we're doing now? We're on a Zoom. Like, we didn't do this on a regular basis no, pre-COVID. No, right. um, yeah. I mean, I remember I'm old enough to be you know, one of the first students in college who had a distance learning class that was horrendous, that we might see you, we may not, we may hear you. But um, 
we cover everything from the history of education, um, you know, the founding of schools, you know, what early schools look like in America to what do they look like now. We cover all of um, the laws um, that govern education. We look at specific cases that set precedents. Um, we actually just started our law chapter uh, this week. And so we've been going over um, Professional Standards Commission, Code of Conduct, certificates. I pulled up my certificate, showed them what it looked like. Um, so this is, this is how old I am. This is when I got it. And these are all my updates. And um, you know, what is a code of conduct and why is that important? Um, we talk about, um, you know, from, you know, special education, gifted students, um, students with disabilities. Um, how do you become a teacher? You know, the traditional four-year college route to maybe Georgia TAP, um, Teach for Georgia, you know, different alternatives um, and not just thinking of teaching as, uh, teachers like the field of education can be counselors and administrators and speech language pathology and you know all yes. of different things in the umbrella um, so one of the very first things that I do whether I have a student to start in you know the examining class or the contemporary class was I show them the state salary schedule we talk about salary we talk about stipends and stuff supplements and working 190 days versus working a 200 day contract or an extended day contract. There's a bill. Yeah, yeah, bill. They um, are amazed to figure out, because we do, we do some math, which is scary that the English teacher's doing some math, but we figure out you know, what, what are these teachers making per hour? Like here we've got, you know, 10, 10 years of experience, specialist degree, extended day, you know, softball coach, what do we do? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. We cover everything, and I will have to brag on um, our students because we have a hundred percent pass rate with our end of pathway test. Absolutely, yeah. please do. Yeah. Um, that is, I think, that speaks volumes for what they do and the the rigor of our curriculum. But I also think it's fun. Um, they well, it speaks volumes. You're humble. It speaks volumes of what you do um, because you, you've never had a student not pass their state credentialed into pathway assessment for the Georgia pathways. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, that, you're humble. I'll say that for you because I know you won't. Well, that, that speaks volumes on how you teach them and how you mentor, disciple them and how you run your program. Well, they do get a credit. That's the other thing. So once they complete the pathway, they pass their end of pathway assessment, they mm -hmm. can take a college credit into, you know, when they start, you know, their their journey and yeah. even if they decide not to be in education it can be an elective class because it's you know that intro class and so the university system of georgia honors that um you know all of our schools and they will take that and that's you know three credit hours that that student or that student's parents do not have to pay for um yeah. as a mother of a sophomore in college that is most appreciated yeah now um last question i'm going to ask you and then I've got one in the chat so far, and we'll we'll get to the um, if there's any other ones. Um, since we're in the in the mode of bragging on your program, uh, talk to them a little bit about um, your Sullivan Scholars, what that okay. what that looks like. Um, Cause that that program, when people find out about that program at Valdosta State University, like their minds are blown. So just talk about a little bit about what it is, real quick, and then how many of your students since you've been here. And you came in with me. At work based mm -hmm. learning so this is we're in our sixth year so you've been five years um how many of your students have, have been able to get that uh-oh pardon announcement please teachers please do not dismiss students who send in a note to be dismissed that will be at the end of third block at 123 
again. All now everybody knows. We also have a pep. I mentioned it was a very big week for us. We have a pep rally in uh, in in a few in about an hour. So uh, a lot of announcements today. So hey, the the things that happen in a school day, right? <laughs> so, yeah, all the things are happening. So. Sullivan Scholarship and and how many of your students Sullivan have gone through that? Uh, we have had four Sullivan Scholars, and you know, some, well, that's not that many. Well, the, it is because there are fewer than thirty that are chosen. Um, the first nice. year, I think there were thirty, maybe thirty-two, and then they have um, reduced the number that they have accepted over the years just for cost, but. The Sullivan Scholar is based on um, a scholarship that um, was in the memory of um, a former teacher who taught, I think, Ruby Sullivan taught for 60 something years, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, it is a complete full ride meals, dorm, um, the matriculation fees, and like all the fees. Uh, I think they have to pay for their parking fee. Uh, they have a, a Sullivan Scholar house that they go and they do um, group meetings and, you know, activities and, you know, team building, um, you know, mentoring, just support. So that's on campus. But those students um, go through an extensive um, application process. They're vetted, interviewed, um, that it is based on need. So yeah. um, the students have to be that the one thing that is the the prerequisite is they have to be eligible and receive free or reduced lunch mm -hmm. so it's a needs-based scholarship um it's pulling from rural communities in our area um mainly schools who are title one schools they have mm -hmm. students that those students are pulled in um Lowndes being in the county seat where Valdosta state is they we are not a title one school but they allow us to nominate students and um, every student I have nominated has been accepted. Yeah. So I think that's, awesome. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and what's the total now? I know it's at least three. One, two, three. I've had five, actually. So you've had basically five. one a year, basically is what we've got. It averages out to one a year. So that's awesome. And that that puts those that puts those students at such an advantage. When they graduate, they pay for, um, they give them a stipend to pay for the GACE, which I think now it's $275. hundred bucks, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and that's a lot for a 21-year-old who's yeah. graduating. Um, like, here, yep. not, hey, welcome to the profession. You got to take the test first. And a ton of money, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yep. it, it is a great program. Um, the student that's um, a freshman this year I talk to her often and she you know tells me all the things they do she loves her roommate they put them in you know dorms that are close together so they're a very mm -hmm. tight group um, we have one student um, who's graduating this year um, yeah. as a Sullivan scholar uh, so it, it I mean it's and that one that one we can't go into specifics with that one but that one's kind of really close to your heart because of some of the complications that went into yeah uh so, and I saw her the other day at Panera and, and she was so excited talking about, you know, going through and um, kind of made me just sit back and, and say how proud I was of our program. So yeah. uh, we got one quick question um, from Lee. If anybody else has any, put them in the chat. We're about to wrap this up. Uh, Lee Goodman says, has demand for TAP surfaced that overlaps with surrounding school districts? And I'll let you answer that. I'll say from my experience and, and having people ask me, how Andrea does such a good job with this. Yes. And from rural areas specifically, 
um, recruiting teachers to rural areas. Um, but I'll let you speak to the TAP specific of that. Um, are you seeing this program have, have success in, in other surrounding counties? Are we able to put students eventually in those counties? And I would say we don't have a ton of success stories about students going into university or graduating and going to college because we've only been doing this for five years. So, you know, most of those students haven't had time to graduate from college yet. You know, only our first year students have. Um, and one of those is already working through dual enrollment. We interviewed her, Madison Ply. Um, but the question is, has demand for TAP surfaced that overlaps with surrounding school districts? Have you seen that with any, any of your peers in, in neighboring or even contiguous counties? Um, yes and no. There, there's two education pathways. One is ECE, early childhood education, and the other is TAP. And it's kind of like when the pendulum swings, TAP used to be, you know, the one and then ECE. And then now there is a movement back to TAP because it's more inclusive rather than exclusive of yeah. what kind of educator you're looking for, which ECE yeah. is very limited to, you know, birth to, you know, elementary age, whereas TAP, you know, is more overarching. Um, a lot of systems have both. Your smaller rural schools, frankly, just don't have the money to run two programs. And so they may pick one or two, but the um, our state superintendents, one of his big initiatives is a teacher pipeline, moving yeah. students out of rural areas into college and then back to those rural areas like what can we yeah. do to get them to come back home and mm -hmm. teach um, and so there are programs across the state um, or schools across the state that are adding tap that are doing things um, to increase enrollment you know trying to encourage you know students to join the program because every school has the same difficulties and challenges that we do it's yeah. hard to get students to say hey I want to be a teacher because of all of, you know, what they hear. And a lot yep. of it is from our own, our own, but, yep. you know, teachers don't make enough money and, you know, there's too much to do and, you know, all the things, but um, that, that's probably the greatest challenge, but there, I think more rural schools are, if they can afford it, they are adding these programs. And a lot of their pathway teachers are work-based learning and TAP. I mean, Jason and I see them yep. mm -hmm. that way, or they may be, um, tap and they may do food nutrition and wellness or you know some other classes as well but I do think with in the within the state of Georgia our state school superintendents initiative to you know create that teacher pipeline like we've got to you know reestablish you know people wanting to be in that profession and how do we feel all of these baby boomers who are retiring yeah and it's and look I mean, you and I were at the end of school last year. We were we were um, in our end of the school year faculty meeting, and the stage was full of teachers who are retiring. Like literally, I mean, it was forty from our. Now we have a big school, but that's a lot of people to replace. And sometimes there's not as many entering the profession as there are leaving, and that's where a program like yours comes in. Um, I would say to anyone who's starting this program, I would start from its genesis. And have the tap roots, the, the the roots for the tap program, or whatever your state's equivalent is. Plant those roots, you know, at least at least assimilate that with work-based learning, because it's going to have an opportunity to enrich that student's experience, give them more options, give them a chance to go in the second semester and do a different grade or a different school or a different teacher. Um, and so, I mean, just I love this program. Again, it, it's a great program for us. 
you go back and watch the previous episode, that's the fruit of, of this partnership and your program. And, and it's, it's done well. You mentioned the superintendent, but if you go back to the first episode in this series, uh, you see Dr. Green, who's one of our assistant superintendents, um, and you can see his vision and passion for what this does. And uh, we're looking for, for really good things for our students who are about to graduate. Hopefully we can retain them in our system, uh, get them plugged in, and then uh, and then maybe go to a conference. You and I go to a conference and present this model, hopefully. That'd be a lot of fun. So, um, Andre, anything else you want to add before we go? No, just um, encourage you know your students in your area that um, teaching is something that is the most rewarding career that they can have. Uh, encourage them to be teachers. And you know if, if you're an educator yourself, and I assume that you are um, watching this, uh, think about what you say, even if mm. it's just kind of a jest around students, mm. because they are listening. Trust me. They they, they Let me tell you what so and so said, and I'm like, ah, no names, but. Um, yep. They are listening. So, and they know, they know who likes their job and who doesn't. Um, yeah, they do. And it makes a difference. Andre, are you okay if I put your email in the chat? Uh, some sure. people ask me if uh, they can reach out to you. Um, sure. And so I'll put, I'm going to put Andre's email in the chat now. Um, hope I spelled that right. I did. Uh, well, Andre, thanks again for your time. I know it's a really, really busy time for us, at least, at least this week and then fall break next week. So we're trying to get everything done. Grades are due today too. Hey, grades are due today. So, and, we are done um, with and we're done. We're done with it. So it's been a busy week and, and, and I know I'm very thankful for you, you know, putting this in your schedule, squeeze it in. I know that, uh, that, that our people who are both here live and who are going to watch this, um, afterward, uh, are going to be very grateful for that. So thank you again, Andrea. I appreciate it. Um, thank, you. thank you all for tuning in, everybody, and I hope you have a great weekend. And we will, uh, uh, our next episode will be Mike Hassler and I doing a, a 2152 podcast, talking about these three interviews, putting a bow on it, and then moving on to our next topic. So y'all stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. Andre, you have a great day, okay? Boom, 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 boom,